Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to this next episode of Lung Cancer Voices, and I'm sitting down with my colleague, Dr. Dave Stewart, and uh, Dave is my former boss, in fact. He's a professor of medicine here at the University of Ottawa and has had a long and very distinguished career as a lung cancer oncologist, both here in Ottawa and also at the the, the, the highly esteemed cancer center in, in uh, Texas, MD Anderson. And, you know, over the time that I've known Dave, he told me that, you know, when he was really early on in his career, he was he was working with or learning from some oncologists in in the states who were at sort of the end of their career but some of the you know the really the pioneers of early cancer treatment with drugs so so dave has really a perspective on really a, uh, the whole sweep of, of of medical oncology so the reason that we're sitting down together is he's written a book a short primer on why cancer still sucks so dave welcome to the podcast and um why did you write a book uh, I, I wrote it because uh, of all the questions that to my patients had had for me over many, many years. What I always told trainees, that often what cancer pa- patients tell me is the worst thing of all is uncertainty. If they understand more about what's going on, then they can uh, cope, they can deal with it, they know what they've got to do. So as to try to put things in a uh, in a way that they would understand what is happening, why it's happening, what we can do about it, if there's something that we cannot fix, why we can't fix it, but also why things are just the way they are. Okay. And in fact, you dedicate your book to your patients yep. with, a, with a lovely, uh, I'll just read the, the dedication to my patients and their loved ones, whose need and suffering drive me, whose thanks have richly rewarded me, and whose courage constantly inspires me. What, what are the most common questions you, 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 you get asked? You mentioned uncertainty. Is it uncertainty? I mean, can you expand on that? Uncertainty about what's going to happen to them or uncertainty about the, you know, the next test result? Or? Sure. Uncertainty about what's going to happen to them and, and why. And also where they are right now. So that the more, uh, the more clear I can make it about uh, why things are the way they are, uh, that, that helps. Recognizing that there already always is uncertainty. But if I can also tell them why there's uncertainty and frame it, so that they understand why it is and where they are and and what can be done about that uncertainty. How long have you been thinking about writing this? And or, and how long have you been writing it, in fact? So so I first started thinking about it uh, many, many years ago, and I only started writing it about three years ago. So it's taken me three years to uh, to get it to this point. Okay. So there's about 15, 16 chapters in the book. They're all fairly bite-sized, sort of 10 to 15 pages, very manageable for uh, to, to read. How did you decide to what to include and, and what not to include? Each chapter is set up with a, first a short primer section that's designed as an overview that uh, a person with no medical knowledge could hopefully understand. And then for people that want further details, uh, then, a, then there's a further detail section that go into a lot more detail and also give references and documentation and uh, things like that so that people can delve into the topic as, as deeply as they want to. 
and essentially I set it up for, uh, from uh, trying to cover as much of cancer as I could. So uh, why is it so common? What, uh, what causes it? Why is it so common? What can screening accomplish and what are the limitations on screening? What, um, how can we uh, uh, treat cancers uh, with chemotherapy or systemic therapies, radiotherapy, surgery, immunotherapy? How does cancer cause symptoms? People know that they can get very sick from cancer. How does it actually do that? And what can we do about those individual symptoms? Uh, also, how do the how do the treatments cause side effects? Uh, what are the common ones, and how does it actually do it? What we can do about those? I also cover um, uh, things like uh, uh, alternative therapies and what the uh, problems are with alternative therapies, and and also the um, uh, what I call uh, oncology myths and legends. What are some things that the public believes about cancer that are, are not necessarily correct? What are some things that cancer specialists believe about cancer that are not necessarily correct that uh, that have uh, that cause problems, and then also systems issues. Uh, what are the major issues that delay advances in cancer? Why can't we uh, Why can't we make faster advances? What do we have to do to the system to speed it up? Uh, I also discuss about um, uh, about why cancer therapies cost so much, and what we can do about those costs. And also, having worked in both Canada and the United States, uh, what the relative merits and failings are of the two different systems uh, and how they can learn from, from each other. And then finally, I end up with what the future of cancer treatment is going to look like, not that uh, just within a very few years, how it's going to uh, could change very radically. Oh, thanks for that overview. The, um, it really does look, you know, the book is, is really comprehensive in that. And maybe I could ask you just to give us a couple of uh, like sneak previews. So, for example, you mentioned myths and legends. You know, for, could you give me an example of a of a common myth about lung cancer that or cancer in general that you? Uh, well, for example, one thing that that patients frequently see, uh, say to me is that they've been told that if they undergo surgery, if the cancer is exposed to air, uh, that that will make it uh, grow faster. And I'd, I explain why people have thought that in the past, but why it's not true. Uh, also, some people say that if they eat sugar, then it's going to make the cancer grow faster, and why that's not necessarily correct either. And also, some, many oncologists believe that the uh, blood-brain barrier protects uh, tumors in the brain from chemotherapy, but why that's not true, but how is it, it has really um, impeded uh, treatment of cancer in some patients. Right. Okay. Now, now, with, now you, you have a number of chapters, and you, you outline them there on, on different treatments, surgery, radiotherapy, chemotherapy, immunotherapy. I was just wondering, given you've worked with some of the some physicians who were some of the earliest pioneers of of chemotherapy, right up to to you know twenty twenty two, where we're using modern targeted therapies and pills and immunotherapies. And how has that been to have a career where you've gone from for, from really the origins, or, or or at least working for someone who was at the origins, to to now? Exciting. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it's been incredibly uh, exciting that uh, uh, just all the things that have changed over time. Now, we, we can, we, uh, I very much feel that it hasn't changed nearly fast enough, but still it has changed uh, dramatically uh, compared to, uh, to what it used to be. I mean, back when I started, we thought that all we had to do was increase the doses of chemotherapy high enough and that high-dose chemotherapy would cure everything. But, of course, that was not the case. But now we understand why it cannot, uh, why, why it cannot do that, but also 
people what the unique susceptibilities are of cancer uh, that uh, can actually make them more vulnerable to treatments. So the, the, the breadth of treatment we, that, uh, of things we have to do now, much broader than what we had. But also, one of my um, mentors, uh, uh, MLJ Freireich, he had Freireich's laws. And one of Freireich's laws was always be prepared for success. One of our major issues right now is we're not prepared to su- for success because the treatments are working so much better and patients are staying on treatments for so much longer, uh, but we do not have the, um, the resources have not expanded at the same rate to, um, uh, to uh, deal with this. And so this is one of the things that we have to figure out is uh, this, uh, this success that we're having, how we actually um, uh, uh, deal with that and, uh, and uh, make it, uh, give it uh, the maximum bang uh, that we can. So, I mean, you have a number of chapters, I, I guess, sort of on that theme. Uh, you know, we are experiencing this success of all of these new treatments, and you talk about challenges in paying for them and uh, accessing new treatments. What are your biggest frustrations right now with with either cost of drugs or, or delays in access? And could you maybe explain why why people sometimes have to to wait, or as a society sure. we have to wait? Yeah, so that right now the, it takes an average of uh, 12 to 15 years to bring a drug from discovery to uh, to uh, marketing and that the the ti- the thing that takes all the time is clinical trials and they're very expensive clinical trials during that time interval if a drug is effective if it's taken 12 years to bring it to uh, until you people can actually be, make use of it thousands upon thousands of life years are lost in that time interval that uh, could have been saved if things had happened faster and one of the chapters is uh, called Speed Bumps on the Autobahn. It's about all the things that slow things down that don't have to do that, how we, how we, could, uh, we could be much faster about getting these drugs through the whole development process. And also, everything that slows it down also makes the drug development process more expensive. That drives up the cost of the other drugs. And so if we, if we tackle these things, we can both get life-saving drugs to patients much faster, and we could potentially make them uh, cheaper as well. So that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that uh, is very important. The other thing on an individual patient basis is making things happen faster so that patients can actually get through the test faster so they can go on to treatment because patients can deteriorate rapidly in some cases and, uh, and uh, it just takes far too long to, uh, to make things happen to get to patients to the point that we can actually start treatment. Right. I should uh, give you a shout out here that, uh, you know, you've been a a strong and consistent advocate for rapid access to treatments. Part of that's through your work with the Life Saving Therapies Network or LISTEN. And, um, is it, did any of, of, of that work influence what you put in the book? Uh, oh, yeah. So that, uh, uh, so that uh, uh, John Peter Bradford from uh, Life Saving Therapies Network and I have been working closely together for, uh, for a number of years. And uh, uh, some of the, the basic things that were driving the foundation of LISTEN uh, were these same factors that, um, that just make it take far too long to, um, uh, to uh, bring uh, drugs, new, effective new therapies uh, from, um, from discovery until they can actually be used in patients. Okay. Terrific. Um, well, Dave, thanks for, right, thanks for joining me on the podcast and congratulations on your book. And uh, I guess we used to hear that it's available in all good booksellers. One just maybe thing to finish with, you mentioned in, in the, your book a, a poem that mm-hmm. you have found quite influential for you or, or, or resonated with you, and, and you, you, you mentioned this in, the, in, in your book. 
maybe you could just share a little bit about that? Yeah, so so the title of the book, of course, is uh, A Short Primer and Why Cancer Still Sucks. Well, I, which, maybe we should actually pause on the poem and I should ask you about that. Why? <laughs> why, why, why uh, so so to, to explain to patients why things are the way they are, just uh, why we have not done better. But in each of the chapters, I also try to give the reasons for hope and how things are, are moving ahead. And uh, and so the uh, the uh, that poem say not the, the struggles not availeth uh, was um, the title of the of the uh, last chapter on the future of cancer therapy, and it's a poem that uh, I first discovered um, uh, when I was in high school many years ago. It's been my favorite poem ever since. And just as an example, the last verse of it says, "And not by win- uh, by eastern windows only, when lit daylight comes, floods in the light. In front the sun climbs slow, how slowly! Uh, but westward, look, the land is bright." Uh, just to say that even though it looks like we're just making progress slowly, in fact, in many ways, we're accomplishing far more than what it looks like. Terrific. Well, thanks very much for joining the podcast, uh, Dr. Stewart. Okay, thank you. Thanks to our producer Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.